Welcome to Sykes, the bottom line pharmacy podcast, your regular dose of pharmacy CPA advice to fuel your bottom line, featuring pharmacists, key vendors, and other innovators. Your checks, yes, you call me, because we the best Sykes and company. Hello, welcome to another episode of the podcast. We have Amanda Gaddy with Secure 340B. She's right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. We're so happy to have you on. This is a big topic, what's going on with 340B contracts right now. So I'm happy to deep dive in. So Amanda, a little bit about yourself. How did you get started with 340B? And then we can jump into what's going on today in the 340B arena. Welcome, Amanda. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, So I am a pharmacist and um, I've been an independent pharmacy pretty much my whole life. The way I got involved with 340B is um, my one of my good friends started a company called Bagger Helix, which was one of the 340B administrators. They still are. And so she said I was working for an independent at the time and I was just helping them part time. Before I knew it, I was flying all over the country. I didn't even know what 340B was. And I was in charge of building their entire contract pharmacy department from the ground up. And so I saw the good, the bad, the ugly. And when I left Macrohelix, I started working um, with a group of pharmacies um, overseeing their 340B programs. And I started seeing it from a whole different way. And I, I thought, there's way more to it than just a dispensing fee. You have to know, how is this going to impact my rebates um, on all of your purchases? Um, and you know, is it beneficial with this? Because the dispensing fee is what's important. And so we want to make sure that dispensing fee is more than they would make if the claim was not 340B. And so that's the reason I wanted to start this this company is because the transparency is just not there. And you really have to know the numbers to understand does it work or not work. And so that's really my passion is to help them, you know, independence in the space because they really can make a difference in their community. And that really is the end goal is helping those patients. So I'm going to jump right in on that because something popped right in my head. Well, how are you, I mean, obviously, um, Secure 340B, the organization you're with there, Amanda, but how, how is your organization or how do you determine whether that dispensing fee, um, you know, is beneficial or not for the pharmacy? completely data-driven. We're not guessing here. We're basically looking at that because that dispensing fee is the margin for that prescription because all the revenue that the, the pharmacy receives from the PBMs and the patient copays is transferred to that covered entity minus that dispensing fee. So because that dispensing fee is the margin, we compare that to what the pharmacy would have made on that prescription had they kept all the revenue and they would have paid their wholesaler for that product. So it's a very black and white, clear picture level detail on the impact. Are you considering rebate in there as well? We do. So especially with generic, because generics have a higher rebate, so we will estimate um, what the net margin would have been. And that's actually a mistake that I made when I was on the other side, is I didn't understand the rebate part. And I was just looking at the cost of a generic, and I'm like, oh, this is great. But then when you say, well, there's a 45% you know, rebate on top of that, then that dispensing fee doesn't look as good, right? So you have to look at the entire picture of the net estimated retail margin compared to that dispensing fee. And that's a perfect word that you used is transparency. I would say, um, obviously, we, uh, Kendall, Scotty, and I see contracts all the time for 340B. Um, now, we don't understand them, 
But <laughs> that's why we sit in the people like you. Um, but we have seen enough to know sometimes that people haven't, we see clients that haven't even really read their contracts. And so they think, or maybe they think they've got a really great deal. Um, and then when someone actually looks at them, um, they find out that maybe it's not as great as they thought. Um, or like you mentioned, it may have been something that they should have negotiated better or uh, maybe walked away from altogether. So Absolutely. And there are two pieces to it for, for us. There's the financial piece where we're looking at the data and saying, okay, yes, your distance fee is more than it would be if you if it was just on your retail account. But there's the inventory part. And that's really right. where we've got 21 manufacturers that have restrictions right now against hospitals. And I think six against like clinics, like FQHCs, um, which means they're limiting the number of um, contract pharmacies that covered entity can have. But the problem that we're seeing with this is if a pharmacy is being invoiced when a claim qualifies um, and they're not receiving that replenishment, they could just be sitting on a ton of inventory in their accumulator. And this happens every day. So yes, on paper, financially, the dispense fees more, but then they're sitting on $80,000 of inventory. And that happens. I get calls all the time. We're having a cash flow issue. Can you help me? I look and I'm like, well, here's your cash flow issue. You know, (laughs) this is all this, this image, because remember, they've already transferred the revenue for those claims and they've paid their pencil. So it's like a double whammy of, of the, because they're not keeping the, at least keeping the, you know, the revenue. So about that inventory piece, um, how can pharmacies get a grip on that? You know, is there, is there, um, is it just understanding that contract? Um, or is it being built into the accounting? I know with, you know, how we do the accounting, we're trying to, um, account for that accumulator, um, which is, you know, not always very clear. Um, but how are you, you know, advising your pharmacies on, on that accumulator, you know, what is that accumulator? How to track that accumulator? Um, for those that may not even know that it's even there. Yes. Yeah, so there are two, it, the very important question to ask is how is the pharmacy being invoiced? If they're being invoiced when the claim qualifies, the accumulator is very important because that means that they're already transferring revenue. Some TPAs or th- third party administrators only invoice the pharmacy when the, after the product has been replenished which is a little bit cleaner or a lot cleaner, honestly. So um, if a pharmacy is invoiced when the claim qualifies, then they need to monitor how many packages are leaving their pharmacy and the value of that and how many packages are coming back. Um, and so we actually, with our company, we start, we have this new product called Inventory, and it's the story of the inventory. And so we're tracking during a quarter how many packages are leaving the pharmacy what is the value of that? Like, what is that pharmacy actually paid their wholesaler and how many are coming back? And then we're looking for variables. So just making sure that you're comparing what's leaving your store and what's coming back and making sure, and if it's in the accumulator and you're being billed when it qualifies, then working with that TPA and that's the covered entity about how to reconcile that. Yeah. It's interesting. And every contract is different as you know. So on the counting side, when we um, we always have lots of fun when we hear, oh, yeah, we have a 340B plan. So then we have to dive in and really understand how it operates. So that on the counting side that we can make sure we 
show that differently because it all depends on who owns the inventory and how we show the fees and how we show the income. Um, makes it challenging, which equals fun, I guess, on our end. <laughs> it was him. I just didn't. I'll just oh, say another you know, we have. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, Scotty. No, no, no. You go ahead. I was just to say another challenge that I see with pharmacies is when they have programs for the uninsured. So that means that um, it could be a three month supply of insulin that their cost is $1,500, but the patient's only paying $15. So when they adjudicate that claim, it comes back that they were paid $15. But their cost of goods, even though it's ultimately zero because the covered entity is, you know, replenishing that. Their pharmacy software shows a loss of, you know, minus $1,500 or, you know, right. that's, that is a real challenge we're trying to figure out, like, um, you know, how, maybe even how to work with a pharmacy management system so that we can pull those claims and say, okay, these really aren't losses because that dispensing fee is the margin, yes. not a negative $1,500. Mm-hmm. Does that make and sense? That's not, yeah. And I think we were talking about that a little bit, Amanda, and the fact that, when you have a 340B program and then you're adjudicating claims, what goes through your pharmacy software, and then if you look at your audit log at the end of the month, if things aren't being accounted for properly, the inventory or the cost of goods that's being replenished, then it really can make the audit log itself fall way out of line with what's actually going on in the pharmacy. So that do you see that a lot where at the end of the month, the audit log says their margin is X, but it's really not? Yeah, especially if you think about it, um, right now, a lot of pharmacies from their fill-in brands, it's showing a loss, $50, $100. But if they're in a program where they're getting 25% of the total paid amount, their margin is 25% of that. It's not a loss. And so that's where it really becomes very challenging with, especially if, like right now when you adjudicate it or, you know, go to fill a prescription and it's showing a loss of, let's say, $100, then you're like, do I really want to order this in and lose money on it like that whole but then if you know it's 340b and you're gonna your dispensing fee is going to be 25 percent of total paid amount then you have to shift your thinking you're not losing money even though that screen that adjudication screen is showing a loss it's not a loss of this 340b now how about amanda dr fees how is this kind of how do they play into this because some contracts don't mention dr fees at all um so how do you, how does that play in? Yeah, so um, we have some pharmacies that have their D, their um, dispensing fee is again a percent, so it covers the DIR fee. If a pharmacy is on a flat fee, which in brand only, and I hope not because typically I, it's a loss every time. Um, that would be when we would definitely want the DIR fees to be covered because if you think about it, um, you know if you have a flat fee and you, you, let's say it's $30, but then in six months, you're paying 10% of that total paid amount, but you've already transferred all that revenue minus your dispensing fee, then the, the pharmacy's underwater at that point. And then, you know, in, yeah. in next year, the DIRs are going to be at, you know, point of sale. So it's really, that's going to be outside of 340V. Hey. A question I hear a lot, and this is kind of maybe taking a few steps back, but um, you know, I have a lot of clients that ask, um, you know, if you're in an area and you're unsure how to get started with a 340B plan, any tips with that? Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot I want to say that's going on with manufacturer restrictions right now, but there's still a lot of opportunity. 
And, and again, if it's structured correctly, you'll never lose money on a claim, which means that you can do more for your community. You can do clinical medicine, packaging, all these things that help that patient. So to get started, though, so there's um, a website. It's called opais.gov, I believe. But anyway, if you search um, 340B contract pharmacy, there's a way that you can actually put in like a zip code, a city, and it will bring up any covered entity in your area. And then you could click on it. It has, the, if, if they have contract pharmacies currently, and the contact information. And this is, to me, very, I'm going to wear my clinical hat for a second. Um, I think it's really important to um, have a conversation with those, with the covered entity about the services that are provided by that pharmacy. So these independents, they provide a lot more than filling a prescription. So open it up. Because honestly, these hospitals and clinics need these pharmacies to do adherence programs, to do clinical medicine. And so having that conversation, say, we want to let you know what we're doing. We're sharing the same patients. Right. And, and why don't we examine and see if 340B would work, right? There's no real investment at the beginning. To, to, all you have to do is have dispensing data and the MPIs of the providers and run the analysis and say, if we would have been contracted over the first quarter of this year, here's how much revenue it would generate for you, hospital, FQHC, and here's how it would impact us. And with that revenue and savings, here's what we can do for our community. Right. Yeah. I mean, the right program can be uh, very beneficial for pharmacies. We see it with a lot of pharmacies and then the bad ones are bad. So, um, but I know when we talked last year, Amanda, the manufacturer issue was a concern with the changes that were, I think, starting in about March a year ago. Um, how has that all unfo- uh, you know, unfolded um, impact in 340B? Because I know that was a concern last year. How has that all played out? Well, it actually started in 2020. And so we're up to 21 manufacturers who have impose some sort of restriction and it varies by manufacturer it varies by covered entity type and it's forever changing so um there was a ruling i think it was at the end of january that basically sort of supported um pharma and so that's when we started seeing more restrictions um unfortunately and i think this is the the biggest thing is it's limiting access to medications for patients so and what i mean by that is those patients who don't have insurance if they can't make it to that one pharmacy, if that's the requirement, then what are they doing to get their medication? Um, right. And that's a that's a true issue that we're not people really aren't talking about. But I mean, I'm hearing it, you know, from my pharmacies that say, "Hey, we used to could fill whatever manufacturer, and we've been restricted now, so and our patients can't make it to that that pharmacy that's at the hospital." So um, what's going to happen in the future? I don't know. I really don't. But I, I know that like Congress is really looking at it. And I'm just totally cool with transparency. You know, like, again, you know, that's I'm a pharmacist. I'm very black and white. Um, but, you know, making it more transparent, making sure that these funds are used correctly. But it really it really will keep a hospital's doors open, especially in, you know, rural Georgia where I am. And I was just going to say, going back to the services, I literally had a pharmacy um, and her called me last week and she was able to get um, technology to do adherence packaging. And she's like, I never would have been able to do this if I wouldn't been part of 340B. But this has allowed me the resources to provide this, this to my patients. And like, I hear stories like that all the time. 
And these are about people, y'all. This is like patients. You know, we're not talking about like actual people. Oh, yeah. People. Yeah. In the community. Because it's like you said, I mean, it's obviously we we talk about this a lot, especially as a a CPAs and as, you know, side that you're on as well about making sure that this is something that is um, financially beneficial for the pharmacy. But on the other side, it's also, you know, regardless of that, it, it is a very positive thing that you can do for your community and for the people of your community that need that. So I guess you always had to kind of kind of keep that in the back of your mind too. This is this is helping people. So you want it to be a win win for both sides. Yeah. Industry partnership. So, Amanda. Right. Yeah. So what about a uh, pharmacy listening in right now who has a 340B contract but they have no idea. They don't know anything about that inventory piece. They don't know anything about that DRF piece. They don't really know what they may have signed. Uh, maybe they have one or two contracts. <laughs> I mean, I've seen this, you know, when we yeah. had some clients come on board. Um, so what do you, what do you, what do you advise for um, someone that has that 340B contract that doesn't really know what they got? Well, first of all, know your numbers. So like when, Pharmacy is invoiced and they say we owe $30,000. They need to see the claims detail to see what is what does that mean? And then going back to the inventory piece, have they received the, the replenishment? Um, and then understanding if they are getting a flat fee, how does that compare to what they would have made had that claim not been 340B, including any rebates? Um, so really it's what is your dispensing fee versus what you would have made without 340B net on your retail. And then are you getting your inventory um, replenished? I mean, those are the, I mean, the meat of it, that's the, the morning. Yeah. So I have a question. If someone has signed a contract um, and maybe you guys look at it, it's not so great. They've already signed it. Is there anything that can be done at that yeah, point? We, we have helped pharmacies renegotiate because again, this is a partnership. Right. And so right. we can go to a hospital and say, look, over this period of time, this pharmacy has lost, and this has happened. They've lost $70,000, $100,000. And they want to continue to be a partner, but can we renegotiate this? And here's what it looks like. We're not just like throwing a number. We're like, okay, here's the modeling to support what we're recommending. And right. the we're often yeah. not covered entities like, absolutely. Like, we want to continue to work with this pharmacy. And, and it's not right. Like, I don't think there are bad people trying to like take money from pharmacies. I think it's so complicated that right. you know, people just come up with a number sometime like, hey, why don't we do this number instead of really looking at the claims details for it. And we did, we've just done here work yeah. where we've, you know, not been able to help them renegotiate. And I'm, and all I can do is say, if it were my pharmacy and I was the owner, I would exit this program because we can clearly see that this is negatively impacting your pharmacy financially and you're not the bank for a hospital you know and as much as you want to help your community the community needs you to not go out of business and this will put you out of business yeah well i know when we have a new 340b contract come up it's um have you talked to secure 340 <laughs> Please. That is yeah. not our ex- area of expertise. We might be able to handle the accounting side of it, but that contract piece, what? Yeah. And I, you already, you touched on it, Amanda, but it just in my experience uh, with a client who 
is not getting the inventory replenished, but they've already paid the wholesaler and they've already paid the hospital. It can be a nightmare. It's like burning a candle at both ends because you're, you're paying out the wholesaler and the hospital. And right now, I think there's not a lot of pharmacies that are just sitting on a ton of cash just to, it's, it's, I mean, you touched on it already, but it's, that's a big piece that you really don't want to mess up. It's, it's a nightmare to unravel too. If it's already been tangled up, it's, it's just a nightmare. Well, one that I've seen recently is Ozempic. So Ozempic changed their NDC. Um, and so pharmacies were still being billed for the old NDC, not able to get the new NDC. And a lot of these contracts say, well, we trip every three to six months. Okay, so if you're sitting on a ton of Ozempic, which is probably $900 a package, and you're waiting three to six months, because that's what the contract says, that's where we would get involved and work with the, the hospital or clinic in the TPA and say that whole period w- meant was meant like if you did a partial package to reach a full package, it was not meant to wait three to six months for something that is not available. And that's not with every TPA. I want to be very specific, but some of the TPAs will wait three to six months to tree that up. You're sitting on, you know, 30, 40 Ozempic. That's a lot of cash that's just tied up that you, that you can't get. That's a lot. Yeah. What about those TPAs, Amanda? Um, how do they, what, what role do they play in all of this? I mean, obviously administration style, but, um, you know, are some better than others, um, uh, and how they do this or, I mean, kind of what does it matter, uh, your TPA? Um, it, I think it does matter and we work with all the TPAs and so I don't necessarily have a favorite, um, but I will right. say it's, oh, Regardless of the TPA, the pharmacy should be able to have access to certain reports, um, like the claim level detail um, that matches their invoices. They should be able to clearly know what inventory is outstanding and what that trip process is like. So there are some basic things that they should get from their TPA, regardless of who it is. Yeah, I mean, I know on our end, some TPAs, we can't get information. Others can, so... Yeah, uh, I think that's definitely a big, big piece of it. Yep, I agree. <laughs> so, um, at the end of each podcast, so it's the bottom line pharmacy podcast. So we try to get to the bottom line. Like, if you had to a few sentences or to encapsulate what the viewers or listeners should take away, what's the bottom line? I have my bottom line ready. I've been thinking about you. my bottom line. You have yours ready. Uh, I, I'm going to make mine as brief because I have a habit of taking like six bottom lines. So I'm going to try to make mine as brief. I think my bottom line is we we always talk about the fill and pray. I think with 340B, we can't sign and pray. You actually got to know what's that. in the contract. That's it. All right. That's that's it. right there. You just coined a new one. Right Chance there. sign and pray. Yeah. And huh? I kind of like that too. I do, again, the word transparency, I think is clear. You got to know that contract. What I've learned today, though, is in this positive, it sounds like that even if you've already signed a contract, um, you should really talk to, you You know, secure third 340B, maybe have you guys look at it and maybe there you can give them some um, pointers on maybe how to go back and um, renegotiate. So there is still room for that if you guys take a look and things don't look great. Um, 
to still maybe change that and renegotiate that contract. So that's that's good news. That was a big bottom line, Bonnie. But I'm going to say, keeping up with my theme, I think it's been my theme most of the years, <laughs> is staying engaged. So staying engaged with those DR fees, know what the heck you're doing there, knowing what you're doing with these contracts, it's 340B, being engaged in it. Don't sign and pray, as Kendall says. <laughs> and, um, and and look for those opportunities in your community if they are some because yeah, they can be very beneficial do we leave any meat on the bone for Amanda <laughs> I'm sure she's got something what's, what's your bottom line Amanda take it home when you said sign and pray it reminds me of when I play golf and I say hit and hope that's a good one um, I know it's how you doesn't have to hit and hope but um but no, my bottom line is really that partnership. It's a partnership between that pharmacy and that covered entity and really just structure something that works for everybody so they can really, at the end of the day, take better care of their community. Very much. Well, thank you, Amanda. And uh, Amanda at Secure340B, um, we appreciate uh, you hopping on today and we appreciate all you do for our clients and the industry as a whole. So thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. Your accounting is a mess. There's no need for you to stress. Go online and request from the best. We the best.